You may be seated. Every now and then, churches get rotten preachers. Sometimes preachers get rotten churches. They do. Uh, But every now and then, preachers get wonderful churches. And um, I have, I'm blessed and very grateful to be called your pastor. You're wonderful people. I talk about you everywhere I go. I'll put you up against any group on the church, on this on this planet. You have been very, very, very kind and tolerant. Me, personally, my flaws, weaknesses, you've allowed me to grow with you. Been very, very kind and sweet to my wife and to my children. There have been a few times through the years when I was asked to go somewhere else. And I would make a list why I should go, why I should stay. And uh, one of the things that's always endeared you to me is... um, Where in the world could I ever find anybody to be this kind to my children? And uh, you've been merciful and kind. I know Britt's gone, but Ash is still here. And where in the world could I go to find people that would treat Ashley the way you have? I love you for that. And I thank you for that. So that's enough. You took care of me at my birthday. You did something nice for my wife. Okay, this is enough, okay? And you want to give me a gift, go to heaven. Let's go to heaven together. That's, that's what I want. That's what I want. <clears throat> so Mo will throw him a curveball here. This is what it says in Acts 2.38. Repent. And be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. You shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you, unto your children, all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. Then they that gladly received the word were baptized. And that same day, there were added 3,000 souls. That is the first great harvest. My subject for you today are the conditions that surround the next great harvest. We are living in a time of what can only be described as a cultural war. Probably the last time something like this has gone on here was in 1860. And the great subject of slavery was on the docket. But we are living in a time, this is an election year. It's not going to be segregated just to this year, but we are in a time right now when people are not just arguing about policies like taxes or health care. We are living in a time when two 
ways of life are at war. Two philosophies are being promoted. Two ways of living that make no doubt about this. These two ways cannot live peaceably with each other. I want to quote from a man named Tom Kligenstein, who's the chairman of the Claremont Institute. One way of life is based on the rule of law, individual rights, a shared common good. This way of life values hard work, a willingness to volunteer, patriotism, self-reliance, those types of things. In this first way of life, there are no hyphenated Americans. There are no white Americans, no black Americans, no Native Americans. We're all just Americans. Our goal is colorblindness. And uh, there is another way of life. And even though this is All Nations Day, please do not confuse what we're doing today with another lifestyle that uh, is what is being touted as multiculturalism or identity politics. This movement is a revolutionary movement. I'm saying that not in a metaphorical sense. It's not like a revolution. The intent is revolution. This mindset does not view this nation as a community with equal rights, but rather as a collection of identity groups that are defined by race, ethnic background, or gender. And, of course, all of these groups are oppressed by white males. Their goal is to have each individual group, and there are lots of them, proportionally represented in all aspects of life. I'm not just talking about recognition. I'm talking about power and money. The only way you can achieve that goal and satisfy all of these different groups is a never-ending redistribution of wealth and power from one group to another. This is not possible the way we are presently set up. This will not happen unless a tyrannical government achieves power. And like all tyrannies, it is necessary to silence anyone who doesn't agree. This socialism that's being promoted so harshly and openly in, in this country will require open borders, sanctuary cities. A lot of rights will have to change. These people understand if they are to achieve their goal, then they have to get you to change your principles. They must get us to believe that colorblindness is racist. That we are not one culture, 
but we are many. Thus denying something that's on every bit of money in this country. E pluribus unum. Out of many, one. This will require us to believe that we have sinned, which we have. But this philosophy goes far beyond that. Because this philosophy is convinced we are irredeemable. We are bad in every way. Thus the phrase, we are systemically racist. In order to change this way of life, you are going to have to destroy the institutions that teach these values. The most important one of these is the family. You have to destroy the family. It is my personal opinion that America is weak because America has weak churches. Churches are weak because they have weak families. Families are weak because they have weak or non-existent fathers. If we can fix the dad problem, we can fix the family, we can fix the church, and we can fix this country. Running a close second to family are religion and education. Education is in serious trouble already. I think the most dangerous place for our young people to be right now is in college. And the fourth thing that you have to destroy is community life. Instead of a community solving their problems, you must allow the government to solve all of your problems. I read the mission statement from a, a radical group recently who stated that the burning issue of our time, <laughs> wow, I don't even want to go there. If black lives matter, then why aren't they concerned about the black-owned small businesses they've destroyed with their riots and their fires. Listen to me, folks. This is not about George Floyd. This is much deeper than that. Last night was the 140th night that Portland has burned. No one's doing anything about it. The poor people of Portland are beyond frustration. I saw a news media not long ago, and the man was saying, these people are exercising their right to peaceably protest. And the cameraman made a mistake. He panned behind them. And behind this mob was a street where the businesses were on fire. The courthouse had just been disfigured. Religion has to be on the chap chopping block as well. You have to destroy our past. You have to go beyond tearing down statues, but literally change history to fit your philosophy. Recently, a statue of Frederick Douglass was torn down. 
Frederick Douglass was a brilliant black attorney, but he believed in this country, so you got to get rid of him. And you have to get rid of Abraham Lincoln, who talked about our better angels. You have to get rid of George Washington, and you have to get rid of Thomas Jefferson, because they had slaves, you see. Well, let me tell you where it goes after that. You're going to have to get rid of Abraham, because Abraham had slaves as well. And then you're going to have to get rid of Jesus. Because the Bible said we are the servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Greek word is doulos, slaves. Whether you like it or not, and it's not politically correct to say it, but we are the slaves of Jesus Christ. We render our body as servants to righteousness. So not only did George and Thomas Jefferson have slaves, so did Abraham and so did Jesus. It tears me to pieces to see politicians vehemently telling me that I've got to wear one of these masks. Because if I don't, I don't care about other people's lives. I have no compassion for fellow citizens. And yet that same political philosophy has passed laws that allow babies to be ripped out of the wombs of their mothers in the final three months of gestation. And if when these babies are born, they're still breathing, they've been instructed, just set them aside and let them expire on their own. If these same people are so worried about us saving lives with this, then why don't you start in the womb? If you're so worried about saving lives. You can only look at the confirmations of the latest candidates or candidate to sit on the Supreme Court to see the absolute terror and fear that abortion might be overturned. When my governor pontificated recently about the president and some things that he had said, and she said, and I quote, Every word that comes out of our mouth should be carefully weighed because as politicians, we are affecting the young people of this country by our speech. And yet that same governor, when asked for a sound check before she gave the rebuttal to the president's State of the Union address, instead of saying one, two, three, She simply joined the word mother with the second dirtiest word in the English language. And she did it not once, not twice, but three times. And then she laughed. So, Governor, I want to know what message your words sent out when you played that stupid game after the State of the Union address. It is into this vortex and this vacuum that the church of the living God has been required to act. In 1 Kings chapter, 1 Samuel 14 
and verse 47, it says, So Saul took over the kingdom, took the kingdom over Israel, and fought against all enemies on every side, against Moab, against Ammon, against Edom, against the kings of Zoban, against the Philistines. This verse so clearly defines what I see so much of today. Saul was against Moab and against Ammon and against Edom. And he made it very clear what he's against. My question is, what are you for? Anybody can just tear stuff down. What have you built? What have you done with your lives? I'll remind you of the mission statement of Jesus Christ, who said, you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem, in all Judea, and in Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Jews, Samaritans, which are half-Jews, uttermost part, which is non-Jews, None of that mattered to Jesus. What mattered was souls. For Jesus foresaw a day when culture and ethnic background would be touted as valued. And he let us know even back then what really mattered. He was saying, I don't care if you're a full-blooded Jew, a half-blooded Jew... I don't care if you have no Jewish heritage whatsoever. He was saying to the church, go get them. Go get them. In Revelation chapter 18, John tells of a time when Babylon will be judged. And it says, and the merchants of the earth shall weep and mourn over her, for no man buyeth their merchandise anymore. The merchandise of gold, silver, precious stones, pearls, fine linen, purple, silk, scarlet, thion wood, all manner vessels of ivory, all manner vessels of most precious wood, brass, iron, marble, cinnamon, odors, ointments, frankincense, wine, oil, fine flour and wheat, and beasts and sheep and horses and chariots and slaves and the souls of men. So I've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, nineteen, twenty, two, twenty-three, four, five, six, twenty-seven, twenty-eight, twenty-nine. Twenty-nine things mentioned. But I would like you to notice the order in which they are given and the priority of things in Babylon. Because heading the list will be the historical favorites of gold and silver, followed by precious metals and materials, hard-to-find species of wood, various stones, commodities from the field, followed by animals, finally and finally at the list, number 29, the souls of men. A society where a piece of material And a horse or a goat is more valuable to them than a soul. You don't believe that can happen? We'll go to Africa and study something called blood diamonds. 
and find out that a diamond is worth much more than people. Go to the destruction of the Amazon. I dare you to try and find South American mahogany for sale today. Wars. National Geographic just put out a magnificent article and said the next great war will probably be fought over water. Like the wars over oil and precious metals. I am here to tell you that on heaven's stock exchange, the bluest of the blue chips will always be the souls of men and women. They will always be at the top of the list. Young men, young women, elderly men, elderly women, black hair, brown hair, blonde hair, red hair, no hair. 2020 vision, bifocals. Good luck finding that sweet spot on those transition lenses. White skin, brown skin, flawless and freckled, burnished bronze to the blanco of the albino, blue eyes, brown eyes, green eyes, souls. Go back to your Bible. If you've got any kind of study Bible at all, you will find a a, a map that displays the temple of Herod during the ministry of Jesus Christ. He renovated Solomon's temple. If you've ever heard of the Wailing Wall, I'll tell you what the Wailing Wall is. The Wailing Wall is a retaining wall. It's what's left of a retaining wall. Herod built this wall and filled the void in with rubble so that he could expand what was going on around the temple. The Wailing Wall is all that's left. It's It's what's left of a a wall that held up rubble because he expanded something what was known as the court of the women. On the other side was something known as the court of the Gentiles. It was very clearly marked. If you were a Gentile and you went to the temple compound, you could only go so far because there was a wall there with a sign written in varied languages. If you're not a Jew... Don't you dare go past this point. This is the spot that the lame beggar chose in Acts chapter 3. This spot is chosen with great care because all the people that are going to pass through this gate to get into the temple have to go by him. And all of the Gentiles who are remaining and loitering on the outside are going to be there. So after everybody's going in to have church, there's still a huge crowd outside that he might just possibly be able to hit the lotto and get a $5 bill. This man had sat for years under the sign of a dead religion that was not able to help him. And Peter and John and obviously Luke showed up and he said, you know, would you like to buy a pencil from my cigar box? Would you give me some money? And Peter famously responded, silver and gold have I none. But such as I have, give I thee in the name of Jesus. Rise, take up thy bed and walk. 
And you get a little insight in knowing that Luke was there because a doctor would notice this. It said immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. That doctor saw those atrophied, twisted feet and said, wow, what a mess. And all of a sudden, snap, crackle, pop. And the Bible said the man was leaping and shouting and magnifying God. Went through that arch. And it says in Acts 3 and 10, And they knew that it was he which sat for alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at that which had happened to them. And they're saying, what happened? And all of a sudden, Peter stands up and he said, listen to me. This man has, don't look on us as someone that has some great thing. He said, this man is healed because of the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. The stripes that were laid on his back. It says, and being grieved that they taught the people and preached through Jesus the resurrection from the dead, they laid hands on them and put them in hold until the next day, for it was evening. Howbeit many of them which heard the word believed, and the number of the men was about 5,000. That is the next great harvest. And I look at what were the conditions that surrounded the next great harvest. It said many of them which heard the word believed. I made some Pentecostal preachers angry some time ago because I preached a message from Acts 16. And it says, if you'll believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be saved. Because Pentecostals, you know, you got to have that Holy Ghost. And you got to speak in tongues. And you got to get baptized. Don't you dare say you're saved at the point of faith. But I will use scripture to explain my position. In Mark chapter 16 and verse 16, it says, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. And he that believeth not and consequently isn't baptized shall be damned. It's in red. Harold didn't say that. Jesus said that. It goes on to say, these signs shall follow them that believe. And one of those signs is they will speak with new tongues. In Acts chapter 10, Peter is in a Roman soldier's house. And Pentecostals only go to verse 44. The Holy Ghost fell on all them that heard the word. That's what it says in verse 44. But what most Pentecostals don't read is verse 43. Because in 10 and 43, it says, to him give all the prophets witness that whosoever believeth in him shall receive remission of sins. And while Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on all them that heard the word. So what was Peter preaching in Cornelius' house? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And they did. And they were filled with the Holy Ghost. Just like in Acts 2, people were filled with the Holy Ghost before they were baptized. Peter desperately looks at his posse that he's brought with him and says, think of something quick. Can any man forbid water? If you can't think of something, we're going to have to baptize these dogs. We're going to have to baptize these Jewish bums. 
And they couldn't think of anything, so they baptized them all. And this is what it says, Cornelius and his household. That's not talking about his sons and his wife. The word household is a Greek word, oikos, which means everybody in your circle of influence. And since he's a centurion and he's got a hundred soldiers under him, it is possible you've got a hundred soldiers baptized now and filled with the Holy Ghost. You've got a wife, you've got sons, you've got daughters, you've got grandparents, you've got friends. I don't know. I just know it was everybody who respected this man and that he could influence is affected by what he did. And in Acts chapter 11, which is the next chapter, Peter goes to Jerusalem and he's in trouble now with the elders because they're saying, what is a good Jewish boy doing in a dirty house of a rotten, filthy dog? And Peter said, these people received the like same precious gift as we who believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. What he's saying was in Acts 2, we believed and got the Holy Ghost. They believed and got the Holy Ghost just like we did. So what was I supposed to do? I did exactly to them what happened to you and me. I baptized them in the name of Jesus. So you go to Acts 19, and you've got people who had heard John the Baptist over 20 years before. And they were baptized, not for remission of sins, just because they wanted to repent. They go home. The Bible said Paul went through the upper coast, found certain disciples, which means they're disciplined. What they do know about God, they love and they are embracing. And he said, have you ever been filled with the Holy Ghost? And they said, we don't even know if we can get it. And he said, have you been baptized? Absolutely. John the Baptist baptized us. But he said, don't you remember what John said? Somebody was coming after him who was mightier than he was, that he wasn't even worthy to untie his shoes. He said, that someone has come. His name is Jesus Christ. When they heard this, even though they're the original Baptist, even though they've been baptized by John the the Baptist himself. They are now rebaptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when Paul laid his hands on them, they were filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with tongues. This is happening in a place that look, watch what it says in, I think, Ephesians 1 and 13. See, see, see if we, if we, we, we got that verse. In whom you also trusted, after that you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that you believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. I believe people are saved by believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. But this is what it says in John 7, 37, 38, 39. In the last day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, He that believeth on me, as Pastor Huffman said, no, he that believeth on me as the priest said. No, no, he that, he that believeth on me as the scripture has said. Out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water, but this spake he of the Holy Ghost, which they that believe on him should receive. For the Holy Ghost was not yet given. Why? Because Jesus hadn't left yet. But after he left the book of Acts, people did believe. They, what, what do you, I believe people are, are saved by believing on the Lord Jesus Christ, but you've got to believe as the scripture says. And what does the scripture say about believing? It says, if you believe, you will be baptized. If you believe, you will be filled with the spirit and speak with new tongues. So in, so in Acts chapter four, I'm talking to you about the next great harvest. These people believed. It wasn't just they mentally accepted that Jesus died for our sins. I'd like to find that sinner's prayer in the Bible. I'll give you a million bucks if you can find that thing for me. It's not there. 
It's, 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 it's cut and paste. Put a little of this and a little. Let's put the whole counsel of God together. That's what Peter, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. This is very apparent and obvious to me that in Acts chapter 4, when this guy is healed and they're taking Peter and his pals to jail, the Bible said there was a great company of men that believed. 5,000 men believed. I don't have any idea how many women believed. It just tells me how many men believed. So in Acts chapter 2, I've got 120 at 9 o'clock in the morning, the third hour of the day. Before the day is over, I've got 3,120. That's the first great harvest. But the next great harvest, which is a minimum of 8,000 now, 120 in the church, and probably far more because no women are even mentioned there. I'm convinced the next great harvest occurred because a man had an altercation and an encounter with the power of God underneath of a sign that says you can't go past this place if you are of a certain ethnic background or of a certain color of sin or a certain it's just nothing that's 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 why Paul said in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 14 for he is our peace who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us he's talking about that sign that was in that outer court of the temple. You can't go here if you don't belong to a certain group. He's saying that you who were strangers, aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, having no hope, no God in this world. He said he tore down the wall, threw the sign away and said, I don't care who you are. I want Jew and Gentile to come together. And of two, I want to make one great church. That is a pivotal role that has to occur in order for, have, for us to have the next great harvest. It's all nations day. It's all nation. This is a Jesus thing. I have tried for over 30 years to do two things. I didn't want to be a foolish pastor and I didn't want to be a frightened one. Because many of you were not here when I stood in the mud back there where that sound booth is. Mud all the way over my ankles with a handful of people and two million dollars worth of debt. And a voice that said, how in the name of God are you ever going to pay for this thing? How are you ever going to get people to fill these seats? Well, let me just tell you what's been going on. Since March, we have added so many people to this church. You should have been here the first. Right now, we couldn't get all of you in this sanctuary because of the number of people that have been added through the teenager, COVID-19. We've had a harvest during a pandemic. How is that possible? That's what the Lord's been doing. I look up here and I see Safi up here singing with his daddy. His mom's back there taking a little movie. So I grabbed Mike's phone and said, give me that phone. I, Sister Butcher's, I got, I got something right up here, man, front and center. I don't know where all this is going, but I know we're on the right track. I wish I would have taken the time 
because, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm living at the campground right now. It's over two hours away. It's a pain in the gluteus maximus or minimus, whatever your case may be. And, 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 and it's just, and I'm sitting out there and I'm thinking, boy, I wish I would have told Brother Mike to put some flags up in the church. Wouldn't that have been nice for, for flags on, on All Nations Sunday? And I come in here early this morning and I look around and my heart just lifted up and I'm going around this room and said, we built a church in that one. We built a Bible school in that one. We got a church there. We got an orphanage in that one. We got a Bible school in that one. And I'm looking around this room and I can't find many flags that don't have something that this church family hasn't been a part of. Oh, Jesus. And I remember the fear, the fear that grabbed my heart years ago and said, you, you are building something that's just going to shame the kingdom. You're never going to be able to pay for this thing. And I'm 63 years old. And hopefully in a couple weeks, I'll get to move into a house. I don't have a mortgage. This church doesn't have a mortgage. All, all, listen to me. All I ought to be worried about right now is feathering my retirement nest. That's what I ought to worry about. Got Social Security to claim. Come in a couple years. Just, 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 just get everything that's not nailed down and just get it all ready and just pass it off. Get me a motor home and, and, and just drive around and be one like one of them other lazy pastors that I see too many of. Because they don't just retire. They retire from everything. And it's just like, I don't want to intend to be anything like that. So this week, we contacted something called Live Design, which is a company in Alabama, Birmingham, Alabama. They are the number one church designers in the country. We have contracted with them. We're going in December. I'm, I, there's, I, I'm, I'm, it's, that's the dumbest financial move you could ever make to try and build another church right now. But we can't get all of you in the same room now. If this keeps up within two years or even less, we're going to have to go to a third service because there's not enough room for that. We're going to, so I'm, I'm just coming at you because the Bible said, occupy until I come. The, the, the original language says, do business until I come back. And so I refuse to just be one of these frightened pastors that just sit here and preach pretty sermons to you and say, well, let's just not stretch our luck here. We got a lot of undecided things going. No, I think we just, John Gibbs gave me a verse today. He said, look at this verse, pastor. He said, they've come out, they're coming out of Egypt. They got the army of, of, of Pharaoh behind them. They got the Red Sea in front of them. And you know what the Lord said to them? Go forward. Just go forward. And it's like, go where? I'm looking at a sea. And it said, when the feet dipped in the brim of the water, the water opened up and God made them away. I, I'm, I'm coming after you. I'm just telling you, I'm coming after you. It'll take a year to get this thing ready, but I'm asking you to start saving and start praying about what God would lay on your heart. So would you be willing to take three years of your life to help us build a new temple for something in this city to bring touch more? Would you be willing to do that? I am. 
I'm willing to do whatever I personally have to do with my wife to make the sacrifice needed to be able to build something for people. I don't have a name for them. I've never seen their faces. I saw these precious people today in the back and I said, what is your name? And they said, you, you, you've been gone. We, we, they've been more faithful to this church than the pastor's been. And said, Brother Mike baptized us. Dwayne and Angie witnessed to us. And I'm looking around and I just keep doing it again and again and again and again. And I'm going, oh Jesus, all problems are not the results of mistakes. Not knowing everybody's name on a pew is a wonderful problem to have. Because all of a sudden God's adding and giving us more and more people. And I'm asking you, listen to what the Bible said in Ezekiel 18 and verse 4. All souls are mine. All souls are mine. And so I refuse to get caught up in this political, cultural war that's going on right now. We're going to pray. We're going to give ourselves to the word. And we're going to be witnesses in this community. We're going to be willing to sacrifice our time, our talent, our money. I intend to, I, I, you know, did you ever hear that thing? No, no graveyard will ever say, boy, I wish I would have spent more time in the office. No, no graveyard ever says that. No, no tombstones ever said that. Read what Psalm says. Walk around Jerusalem. Mark well her bulwarks. Look at her walls. Tell the next generation, my father did this. And my father's father did this. That when I'm gone, I want young people to say, you want to know why you got what you got? Because people that you've never met made a decision to make a sacrifice and a covenant with God in prayer. Will you stand with me right now? Jesus' name. I believe the glory of the latter house is going to exceed the glory of the former. I'm looking for the next great harvest. But one of the keys to the next great harvest is can you forget about who, where they came from? What color is their skin? Well, what culture do they have? Would you please forget about that and say, dear Jesus, there's not going to be a ghetto in the New Jerusalem. There's not going to be an eight mile between those 12 floors in that city with four square. Not going to happen. We, we have been trusted with a tragedy. We have been trusted with a cultural war that's going on in this nation. And I don't expect politicians to fix it. I don't think Roe versus Wade will ever be overturned, to be perfectly honest with you. I think this city and this country is in trouble. The last great hope of this culture is the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. We owe this, we owe them one more revival. Hallelujah. Come with me. Come with me. Come with me. Step out of your pew. Step out of your bench. Come up here around here with me. Jesus' name. Jesus' name. Jesus' name. Amen. I don't want you to kneel. I want you to come up here. I want you to lift up your head, lift up your hands, lift up your voice. I want you to turn your prayer into praise. We're not here to ask. We're here to thank him for what he's doing and what he's going to do. In Jesus' name. Father, I magnify you in this place right now. I thank you for what you've done. I thank you for the bills that you've enabled us to pay. I thank you, God, for the messes that you've extricated us from. I thank you for the precious souls that you've trusted us with. I am so grateful, God, for what you have done and what you are doing and what you are going to do.
If not now, and if not here, where? If not us, who? We are the people, the church of the living God. We are trusted right now with this time. And we're asking you, God, right now to hear our prayer. We're asking you, God, we repent before you because we are your people that are called by your name. And we are humbling ourselves and we are turning from our wicked ways. You said if we would do that, you promised you would not be a deaf God, nor would you be a benim God. You said if we did this, you would hear and you would heal. And we're asking you, God, today to hear our prayer of praise and repentance. Holy God, we call on you right now. We want you to make all things new. We want you to make it new. Fix the marriage that can't be repaired. Fix the family that's destroyed and broken apart. Fix the body that's been ravaged by sickness and illness. I'm asking you, come on. Come on.
in the Spirit alters the course of this church. I think we just heard one. And uh, it's an exciting time to be a part of the body of Christ in this world and in this climate. The church is thriving. And uh, I'm believing God for the greatest harvest that this world has ever known. And it's going to take each and every one of us, love one another, be kind to one another, because that's what's going to draw somebody to Christ, is when we love like He loves, and then they'll be drawn to Him. So let's, let's be intentional about that. Let's be intentional about being kind to one another and showing the love of Christ for one another. Be here. Let your light shine. Be here tomorrow night, Monday night prayer. We'll just keep snowballing this thing. There's something, if you sense it in the Spirit like I do, it's like there's something brewing. Something's percolating right now. like Like a pressure cooker building up steam. And one of these days, I'm telling you, it's just gonna blow. And there's no ceiling to this thing. There's no limits to what God wants to do. We're gonna see it come to pass. Some of, the, some of the prophecies that we've heard, people waiting to be baptized up and down to Quinder Road, we're going to see it come to pass. And I'm excited to be a part of it. Lord, we love you so much today. God, it's, it's been just an honor to be here among your presence and among your people. How did we get so fortunate, God, to be able to call you our Lord? Lord, we're humbled and we are a grateful people. I pray that our our hearts would be reflective of yours. God, let your love be shown through us to people. God, for the commandment of the Lord is love the Lord with all your heart. Love others as you have loved the church. So God, today we're going to go out. We're going to love one another. We're going to be great witnesses unto you, my God. And we will watch the greatest harvest this world has ever known. It's going to, we're going to play a role in it, Lord. It's going to be greater than what we do here. It's going to be a global thing, but we're going to have a role. We're going to have some ownership in it, my God. It's an honor and a treat to serve you and to be a part of the church. So, Lord, we love you today. pray that you would bless these good people. Be with them. Let the Holy Spirit empower them with boldness and with kindness. Put the right words in their mouth, God, when they encounter somebody this week that you would be glorified and that you would be magnified. Lord, in the name of Jesus, I pray and believe it and call it done. God bless you all. It's an honor to serve the Lord with you. We'll be a light to somebody in Jesus' name.